Well, if you're new, if you're unfamiliar, here at Calvary Chapel South Bay, we believe that the entirety of God's Word was written for our exhortation, for our admonition, for our training, instruction in life and godliness, and that every single word of it, authored by the Holy Spirit, and is suitable for reproof and correction, even instruction in righteousness, including parts that I as a pastor would like to skip. And such is one of those chapters tonight. And so I want to make a disclaimer before we even get going. I'm not seeing any young ones uh, here tonight. Um, Yes, I do. Tonight is absolutely not appropriate for anyone under the age of 15. And I would suggest at this very moment, if that is you, if you have your children, that you would take them uh, to their appropriate classes, which would be the high school or the junior high. Um, Because whether we like to recognize it or not, the Bible speaks on a whole host of issues um, that are fairly graphic. And there is no more graphic chapter in all of the Bible And none that I'd like to skip more than chapter 38 of the book of Genesis. But because God took the time to include it, I know he has a message from it. And so if you turn to Genesis chapter 38, the story of Judah and Tamar. And I will do everything I can to take this passage and keep it where it belongs, which is in that sphere of recognizing that a holy God authored it, Um, but it says some things that it says, and it teaches some things that it teaches. And in fact, the Bible, uh, if you were to take it and turn it into a movie, um, would likely be X-rated. There are parts both for graphic violence and for graphic sexuality Uh, that if you were to act them out on the screen, they would certainly go in that category. Tonight is one of those chapters. And so I want to encourage you to listen with godliness, with the desire to hear from heaven, and that the Lord would speak to his church in an all-important time in our culture, in our world, in our nation, and in our community, really about the dangers of living in a sex-saturated society. Because that's clearly what's in view in chapter 38. And so would you join me? We'll pray. And we'll take the first 13 verses before we move on. And we'll finish this one up tonight uh, in its entirety. Father, thank you for the privilege of saying difficult things. Lord, that you would speak into our lives, even from ancient history, Lord, the importance of living lives that are pleasing to you. Lord, that we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto you, which is our reasonable service, just as the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 12. And Lord, that is not what happens in this chapter. It's the story of everything going the wrong way. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to learn from it. Lord, I pray that you'd quiet people's hearts to receive it. Lord, for some, uh, they're doing all that they need to do in this area. And for others, they're struggling, and they're struggling mightily. And so, God, give us the balance between truth and love. Help us to hear and obey in Jesus' name. Amen. And it came to pass at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Herah. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he married her and went into her. And of course, that is a euphemism for they had a sexual relationship. And so she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur, and she conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. And she conceived yet again and bore a son, 
and called his name Shelah. And he was at Shazib when she bore him. Now Shazib, if you were to look at a map of modern day Israel, if you were to take Jerusalem, which is roughly in the middle of the country, and you were to move slightly south and a little bit to the west, you would be heading towards the homeland of Gath, the land of the Philistines. And in, the fa- in fact, the Valley of Elah today is a farming community. And there in the Valley of Elah are two cities. One, Azekah, which is being heavily uh, archaeologically excavated right now. In fact, if you were to have an current issue of biblical archaeology last couple of months there's been some stories in there of this city that was destroyed adjacent to it about five miles away down another canyon is this city Shazib and Shazib is actually in the land of the Canaanites and as we already saw God spoke to Abraham regarding the Jewish people And he said to them, you shall not take from among the Canaanites wives unto your own sons. They were off limits. And the reason they were off limits, I believe, is the very thing that the Apostle Paul speaks to us as he writes to the church at Corinth. For we are not to be unequally yoked, a believer to an unbeliever. And in this case, and in this particular context... That would be a group of people who now are going to be the descendants of Jacob, the 12 tribes, Israel, who know the true and the living God, and those who do not, the Canaanites, who are godless, who are heathens, and who have nothing but disdain for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so we begin this picture by recognizing immediately that Judah has departed from the rest of the family, one of the sons of Jacob, and he's gone to where he shouldn't go. And in going to where he shouldn't go, he sees what he shouldn't see. Can I get an amen? Brothers and sisters... You need to not go where you shouldn't go, and you need to not see what you shouldn't see. So many of the problems in life come from those two things. Being in the wrong place and seeing the wrong thing, and that wrong thing turns into something that becomes a habit. That habit becomes a lifestyle, and that lifestyle becomes death. Make no mistake about it, nothing has changed. If you go where you're not supposed to go and you see what you're not supposed to see, it can bring grave pain and it can destroy your life. And while we're talking about this particular family and these particular people, the application across a broad swath of our human existence today is quite clear. When the church ventures into places they shouldn't go, when the church sees things that the church shouldn't see, and the church begins to desire that which they should not desire, because if you were here and you were married, you have exactly one person on this earth that is supposed to satisfy your sexual desire, and that is your spouse. As far as the Bible is concerned, there is no place in humankind for the expression of sexuality except in marriage. Every other expression is clearly condemned throughout the totality of Scripture because it always involves lust. It always involves homosexuality. It always involves things that God clearly condemns. And so when you go someplace that you shouldn't go and you see something you should not see, you begin to engage in that which you should not engage and thereby you find yourself outside of the will of God and that can be very costly. That's the story in this chapter. And then Judah took a wife, verse 6, for Ur his firstborn and her name was Tamar. 
But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. Now remember, he's where he's not supposed to be. He's not dwelling where God sent him. He's wandered off to the land of the Canaanites. He's begun to engage in things that we would call sinful. He's doing exactly what he shouldn't do. He's watching the TV programs he shouldn't watch, the movies he shouldn't watch. He's going to the clubs he shouldn't go to. He's hanging out in the places that he should not be, and he is engaged in sinful activity because his heart is inclined towards Canaanites, not towards the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so here comes the first horrible thing in the family. His firstborn is wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. And Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up unto her your brother, an heir. He says, Look, and this was a custom during those days, and I want to be very, very, very cautious here. This custom was for the Jewish people. It was for that time. It does not exist today. And this is called Leverite marriage. It was the custom then because there were no social services. Nobody could go down and gain any type of public assistance. There was no underpinning of society to take care of a woman who was widowed who now has children. And so the custom was then that the next youngest brother would go into that wife who is now a widow and produce a son with her and would take her as a second wife. Don't even think about it. But that was the custom then. But Onan knew that the heir would not be his. And it came to pass, he went into his brother's wife, and he emitted on the ground, lest he should give an heir to his brother. In other words, he failed to maintain sexual contact with her so that she would bear his seed. He said, look, I'm not doing it. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, and therefore he killed him also. Remember how this happens. Wrong place, wrong time, wrong people, wrong way of life. There is nothing right about it. And this is what happens when we engage in behaviors that are not okay with the Lord. You've often heard me say, if you've been here at Calvary Chapel for a while... There's exactly one place for sexual expression in marriage. And that's in marriage. It's not kind of sort of marriage. It's not you're almost married. It's kind of sort of, well, we're thinking about marriage. Well, I'd like to marry him or her. God considers us married because we think so. There is one place for sexual expression. And that is within the confines of a covenant made before God in marriage. Now, you may not like that. You may think that I'm some fuddy-duddy old dude who just needs to go away. But that's not my take on it. That's God's take on it. That's what his word plainly says. This is not a guess on my part. It's not an extrapolation on my part. There is supposed to be no sexual anything outside of marriage. And so here you have a very severe problem. You're also not supposed to marry outside of someone who knows the Lord. And so when you compound problem on top of problem, guess what you're going to end up with? More problems. Don't think that you're going to be the one or that your kids are going to be the one or that person that you have been talking with that you like a lot is going to be the one that's going to escape what God's word says plainly because you won't escape it. God's true to his word. Now, he may, in his marvelous grace, not extract any of these prices, penalties from you. Uh, You may even get away with what the Bible says is clearly sin, but you're going to pay a price. You're going to pay a price in your married life later. 
You're going to pay a price in the way that you view God and how your relationship with the Lord really prospers. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, and so he killed them also. And then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter, Remain a widow in your father's house till my son Shelah is grown. And so he's trying to keep it all in the family here. It's like, we like you. Why don't you hang around? Wait for my son to get a little bit older. Remember, he has three of them. She's now gone through two of them. He's down to one of them. For he said, lest he also die like his brothers. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. And now in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. You kind of get in the picture, maybe you don't want to be in this family. If you're a dude, forget it. But Judah was comforted and went up to his sheep shearers at Temnah. And he and his friend, Hira the Adulamite. And it was told Tamar, saying, look. Your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. And she also took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in an open place which was on the way to Timnah for she saw that Shelah was grown and she was not yet given to him as a wife. Ladies, if you want to know exactly the wrong way to get a man, you just heard it. Dressing yourself like you're available for sexual pleasure is not how to attract a husband who loves the Lord. But it will attract attention, and you will end up pregnant. And then Judah saw her. Now, notice who this is. Judah saw her. That's her father-in-law. And he thought she was a harlot because that's what she was doing make no mistake about it if you act like a harlot you're going to be viewed as a harlot and that was then and that's also true now we all have a responsibility to carry ourselves in such a way that people know about our lord and savior jesus christ not about our sexuality And while I am not placing any or even close to all of the blame on anyone here, I'm simply saying that if we act like heathens, we're going to get exactly what heathens get in our relationships. If we won't see this for what it is, if we will not restrain ourselves in such a way that God can work for us, then you might well have God teaching you a lesson instead. And that can be quite painful. Because she had covered her face. In other words, she was doing exactly what you would expect of someone who is a harlot, who's a prostitute, who is getting paid to have sex with someone else. And he turned to her by the way and said, Please let me come in to you. For he did not know that she was his daughter in law. And so she said, what will you give me that you may come in to me? And I'm going to stop there because I'm getting sick. This whole story is so sordid, I will tell you that I've had pastors tell me, we'll just skip it. I've read through commentaries and it is virtually almost skipped. And I've looked at it and I thought to myself, what do I do with this, God? Because quite frankly, I don't want to talk about it. And I realized that probably like no other time in human history does it need to be talked about. Because while I'm not suggesting to you that every woman who acts inappropriately is seeking that kind of attention, I can tell you that men are still prone to look at women as objects if you place yourself in a position to be looked at as an object. It bothers me to no end. And I'm going to get a little bit up here. That you ladies will not call sin, sin. 
We're in this whole Me Too thing. How about openly condemning women who make a habit and millions of dollars of taking their clothes off? You men, do you really think that that's going to result in love? Or do you think that that's going to result in lust, which is going to destroy your life? The church should be on the forefront of saying no to this stuff. And while I don't mean to chastise anyone who's here, it's time that the church stood up and said enough. One of the reasons that pornography is so prolific in our society is because we don't do anything about making it illegal. And that includes the church. We just accept it. Well, it's just free speech. No, it's not free speech. It's free smut. Let's call it what it is. It's free destruction. It's destroying people's lives. It's ruining their minds. It's destroying relationships. It's wrecking marriages. And it's not a good thing. What a legacy this family leaves because of unbridled sexuality. It's interesting to me that when you look at Jacob, he spent an awful lot of time in Padam Aram, didn't he? Serving old Uncle Laban, trying to get the one wife that he wanted when he already had one. There's no satiating the human appetite for these things. And though we dress them up differently in our society today, we try and make them seem like somehow they're okay, this stuff's still not okay with God. It's never going to be okay with God. And it's never going to produce good fruit in any believer's life. And so I pray that we get what's being said here. Back in Genesis 18, as I shared with you earlier, the passage there, verse 19, God's speaking says, For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, speaking of Abraham, that they shall keep the way of the Lord and do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken to him. God expects us to listen and do. So Abraham had the right footing. He he was able to do what God asked him to do. The problem is, would he do it? And for the most part, Abraham did. But there's a legacy here that by the time you get to chapter 24, as, as the sin just compounds one thing on top of another thing, this sin is actually the sin that causes the children of Israel to spend 400 years in captivity. Now, it's not just Tamar. It's not just the sexual sin. It's the disobedience. It's the not listening to God. It's the thinking we know better. It's us standing around going, well, you know, I I know the Bible says that, but, you know, you just don't know my life. No, I don't, but God does. He created you created me, created us, and he knows exactly what he's allowed into our lives and how to get us through it if it's a difficulty. The question is, will we allow him to work in our lives in a way that's good for him, or are we going to try and get what's good for us? And as you look at this passage, in Genesis chapter 24, verse 3, it says this, For I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, from among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country, to my family, and take a wife for my son Isaac. He says, look, you're my people. I want you to live your lives my way, and I want you to do what I ask you to do. 
And God still speaks that same message to us. And I realize this passage is tough. It's hard. And I realize people are struggling. They're struggling with sexuality. And they're struggling with sexual things. But the fact of the matter is, God is sufficient for these things. And we can either trust him with this, or we can say he's not able. And if you're saying he's not able, you have some serious problems in your life. Because if he's not able to deliver you from sexual temptation, how could he possibly deliver you from eternal damnation? How could he bring you into his marvelous light, into his kingdom, if he can't save you from sexual temptation? The fact of the matter is he can save you from sexual temptation, but you have to want to be saved. You have to want to resist the devil. You have to want to flee. And if you don't want to flee, there's plenty of temptation out there. It's on every street corner. In this case, it was the gate of the city. And men, if you stop at the gate of the city, this is what you're going to find. If you will not make a covenant with your eyes, this is what you will find. And ladies, if you won't wait on the Lord, this is what you will find. If you will not say, I I won't have less than God's best, then this is what you will find. You'll settle. And your settling may be very unsettling. As you look at this family, it's just... It's just loaded. It's overloaded with sin. And it all goes back to the history uh, of where this family has been and what it's done and how it's been led. And there's a picture here for us men. We have a responsibility to lead our families in godliness. And again, I don't condemn anyone. I've yet to met a man who's not struggled in some way, shape, or form, and most in this very way. But we have a responsibility to hear the word of the Lord and then to yield to the Holy Spirit's power to accomplish the word of the Lord. That's on us, guys. And here's why I say this. These kids grew up the way they are as a result of watching their parents sin with impunity against God. Thinking that they would be the ones that would escape that somehow God wouldn't extract any of his promised retribution. God is a holy God, and he strives with us a long time. He's gentle, he's kind, even in his wrath, he's kind. But make no mistake, he's not missing anything. He's not not seeing it. He sees it. And he's just simply waiting for the opportune time to say, okay, now's the time. Don't think he's not going to see you. In this passage, we have two things, and both of them strike at the heart of us in our day and time. One of them was Onan's specific sin, and I'm going to get to that in a moment, but I want you to notice that that sin resulted in his death. It is very clear to me that there are a couple of things at work here. The first thing I want to address is why he was told to go into his brother's wife in the first place. And that's the issue of the Leverite marriage. The the word Levir actually means brother-in-law. And so it was brother-in-law marriage. It was part of the Mosaic Code. It was part of the rabbinical treatment of how you were to deal with uh, a widow whom you were related to. And while we don't understand it and we don't do it, it had its purpose and it had its place. One of the problems with replacement theology, very specifically, where you take the plan that God still has for national Israel and you brush it aside, you spiritualize everything that's in the Old Testament as somehow having a meaning or having something that we can apply to the church, 
is it deletes all of the practical application of the very specific things that the Lord told the Jewish people for the Jewish people themselves, this being one of them. It was for a time, it was for a place. It prevented those ladies from starving to death and their children as well. It gave them an opportunity to stay within the family. As I shared with you before, a family unit could be five, six, seven, eight, ten families. They live within what we would call a compound. Generally speaking, there would be a large center home. Sometimes a wall around that could be just a large pile of rocks or even thorns and thistles. But inside of it, because you were related, you were also protected by all the brothers, the brothers-in-laws. The moms raised their children together. There would be nurses and wet nurses, and sometimes moms would take care of the other children. And so it kept that woman inside of the family that now also has one of the children of a brother. So there was a reason for it then. There is no reason for it now. Because we do have social services. We do have other ways for that to happen. And we have the systems in place to take care of people who are disadvantaged. And as poorly as they work at times, they are infinitely better than what existed during that day and time because they didn't exist at all then. People simply died. It cost them their life. And so God puts in place... Uh, this thing called Leverite marriage. It was incorporated into the Mosaic Law in Deuteronomy 25. Jesus actually makes mention of it in Matthew chapter 22. And so Judah has this obligation to Tamar, having contracted with her and her father to marry his son. It's a contractual arrangement. It was a covenant in that sense. And so Tamar appears to be agreeable in this whole thing. There's, there's nothing going wrong at that particular moment in time but then comes the implementation then comes what follows after this there's no doubt that you have a man who's like okay well it's my brother's wife but she's still a woman and I'm still a man and so there's there's the biological part of all of this that one could look at and see that's you know something that would not be too far out of the norm You don't have the massive genetic variation that we have today, which would lead towards birth defects within uh, close family ties. And so now you have this situation where Onan uh, goes into his brother's wife. This particular sin has been used for a euphemism for masturbation. That is not even what it is. It's very clear that his whole problem here was not the fact that he spilled his seed on the ground. It was that he was not listening to what God had told him to do and failed to do it. That being said, this passage also does not teach that masturbation is okay. And it surely does not teach that it would be okay for lustful sexual pleasure for a person who is not married. It does not say that your body is your own and you can do whatever you want. But it does say if God tells you to do something, you ought to do it. So be very careful about how you look at this passage and how you apply it. Because it says very, very, very little about what a lot of people try and make it say. It is neither an excuse for, nor is it a condemnation of the practice of masturbation. Now that I've said that three times, I'm officially done. Now it's important, because I think people often use very obscure passages to try and prove their point. This happens to be one of them. And to that end, the Bible speaks very, very, very clearly about sexual issues. And we have to speak very clearly about sexual issues. But we also have to admit that the Bible doesn't say everything about everything. 
And so when the Bible speaks about sexual issues, which it does, make no mistake, adultery is sin. So sex with someone that you are not married to when you are married is sin. It's not recreation. It's not you trying to find a new spouse. It is sin. The Bible openly condemns fornication, which is sex with anyone you're not married to. So all of that sexual experimentation before marriage is sin. The Bible speaks very directly against lust. That is taking thoughts captive in your mind that are sexual thoughts that lead you to sexualize someone else with whom you are not married. That would be sin. You see, we live in a world that wants to make all of these things seem like, well, it's just between you and you. The Bible clearly condemns homosexuality. All homosexual activity is clearly condemned in the Bible, 100% of it. So when someone says, I'm a homosexual Christian, that is an oxymoron to God because he condemns homosexuality. So when Paul says, and such were some of you, he means you can't be actively practicing something that God says you're not supposed to be and be called the child of God. The Bible openly condemns incest, sodomy, openly condemns these things. And yet I get into discussions with Christians, well, you know what, you know, I can do this if I want. No, you can't. Not if you're a believer. You may hate me right now, I'd rather tell you the truth and have you hate me now. You can love me when we get to heaven. The Bible speaks clearly on these issues. But as far as everything else, let me also be equally clear. We treat them in the same way we treat every single thing that is doubtful. We ask ourselves some simple questions. You just simply can read Romans chapter 14, the first 16 verses there, and deal with all of those things that are not in those categories that the Bible openly condemns. There's no ambiguity whatsoever about those things that I just mentioned. So if you're sexually active before marriage, it's not okay with God. No matter how much you protest, And no matter how much you say, will I love him or love her, it's not okay with God. If you think you're same-sex attracted and you are sexually active with that person, it is not okay with God. No matter how much you protest, no matter how much you say, well, love is love, that's not actually love, that is lust. And lust is also sin as far as God is concerned. So you treat anything else that's not in those known categories because God's let us make, he's made known to us these things which are clearly not okay with him. And sometimes I wonder what it is the goal of any believer who's trying to justify things that the Bible clearly condemns. If you're watching pornography, and and you are lusting after someone, that is sin. If you're reading a graphic romance novel and lusting after an imaginary character, that is sin. It's not okay with God. If you are engaged in any type of behavior that leads you towards sexuality expressed outside of marriage, that is sin. I think if the church would start calling sin, sin, we might have a better argument for why we're not okay with homosexual marriage. You know why no one wants to believe us on that subject? Because the church is filled with people in adultery. It's filled with people who are watching pornography. It's filled with people who are pleasuring themselves. It's filled with people who are fornicating. And so we lose our voice when we will not call sin, sin. Amen? Amen? we got to call sin, sin. That may be unpopular in a lot of circles, 
But I'm telling you, if you want people to listen to you, you have to be intellectually honest and you have to be consistent. When the Bible speaks, we speak. And when the Bible doesn't speak specifically, we turn to Romans 14. And we treat it as a doubtful thing. And if you come to a conclusion, do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. In other words, it is exactly the Hippocratic oath except in all things spiritual. First, do no harm. Everything a believer does should be looked at from the standpoint, if it's doubtful and you don't know, is this going to harm anyone, including yourself? And if it is, you probably ought to have second thoughts about it. A second thing, Paul writing to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, therefore, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of the Lord. If you can't imagine, and this is going to boggle some of your minds, you're engaged in whatever thing it is that you think is okay. Imagine Jesus standing there going, all right, that's great. Puts it into perspective, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Do all to the glory of the Lord, that the Lord would applaud that activity. Would the Lord watch that movie? Would the Lord watch that television program? Let me be honest. The Bachelor is filth. It's filth. It's a whole slug of ladies trying to get one guy and they will do anything to make it happen. It's filth. Can you imagine that being to the glory of the Lord? I'm making everybody mad tonight. It's okay. Can you imagine Jesus? Way to go. Number four. I'm going for number four. Hallelujah. Father, did you watch this? And yes, I am making a little bit of a mockery right now because it's that simple to discern this. It does not bring glory to the Lord. And so for the child of God, we ought to think think about this more than once. You know, I'm not sure Jesus is going to sit down and watch this with me. Just saying. I can see the emails tomorrow already. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Lord, thank you for this pornography. It's really bringing me closer to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Are you tracking with me? Thank you for this sexual experience I'm having right now. I know I'm not married to her, but man, this is just awesome for me. And I'm feeling really wonderfully sexually fulfilled right now because I am selfish. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let's call sin, sin. Let's make it real, folks. If we believe the Bible is true, we believe the Bible is true. Because the same Bible that teaches you about God's grace says that the child of God should not walk in darkness. That the child of God should not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And I realize some of you are going, man, I'm doomed. No, you're not. No, you're not. Because that's how great the grace of God is. He's able to redeem and save to the uttermost and he can dig you out of the deepest pit. But you've got to stop digging. You've got to just say, look, Lord, I'm giving this stuff up. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I'm just going to finish it. It needs to be done. Verses 9 through 14. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, 
That would be someone who's having sex with somebody that they're not married to. Let's call it what it is. That's not you deciding what a covenant with God is. That's God deciding what a covenant with God is in marriage. So, well, God sees us married. No, he doesn't see you married until you tell other people that you're married and you stand before him and say, we're married. That's when God sees you married. Nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards. Now, let's be honest. There are some other things in here. This is where we have to be intellectually honest. We have to say, you know what? I'm going to do it God's way. Or extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. You realize what he's saying. He's not saying that you can't have been any of these things ever. He's simply saying if you are the redeemed of the Lord, this is not your present day practice. This is what you used to be, not what you are today. Very clear. Why? Verse 11, and such were, past tense, some of you. Not such are some of you right now today because you're not listening to what the word of the Lord says. But such were some of you. But you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. And then Paul says something that is striking. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And this is where it becomes the issue of mastery. Are these things mastering you? Pornography will master you, men. Relationships that you're in without all of the Things that go along with marriage will master you because it's cheap, free sexual pleasure. Free of all the encumbrances of maybe needing to provide a house and a home and an income. Promising to honor and cherish until death do you part and taking care of that person when they're sick, when they're dying, in good times or in bad, you see, it's real easy to have sex with somebody when there's absolutely no strings attached. The Bible doesn't present that. It's not even an option. I won't be brought under the power of any. He said food is for the stomach and stomach is for food, but God will destroy both it and them. But now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, for the Lord, the body. Pretty clear, isn't it? That was the problem. You know, basically you're watching an issue of Desperate Housewives of Temna. It is, isn't it? Think about what's going on here. This is a soap opera. This is like, well, you know, my husband's dead, and I'll just go down and hang out and pretend I'm a prostitute. And good old Judah's going, eh, well, she's pretty hot. Doesn't even realize this is his daughter-in-law. That's how caught up he is. You talk about a double standard. Let's look at the rest of the story. Now, in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died, and Judah was comforted, and he went into the sheep shears of Timnah, and, and he and his friend here, the Adulamite, and he was told of Tamar, saying, Look, your father-in-law is going up to shear sheep. And she put on her widow's garments, and put them off from her, and covered her face, and wrapped herself, and sat in an open place by Timnah, for she saw that Shelah was grown. He was not given unto him for a wife. And then he turned to her by the way and said, please let me come into you, for he did not know that it was his daughter-in-law. And so she said, well, how much are you going to pay me? How much will you pay me for having sex with me? Now, that sounds especially atrocious, and I said it for that purpose. 
But you know, there's no difference between rent and a car and taking care of your basic needs if there is no relationship in marriage. It's just a different kind of financial arrangement. Now you may, again, find that horrific that your pastor would say that, but that is exactly what it is. What will you pay me? In other words, what is it worth to you to have sex with me? Well, you got a nice car. You got some money in your pocket. It's Friday. You get this picture that Judah is such a promiscuous man that he's going to proposition this Canaanite woman. He doesn't even, he does the same thing to Tamar. It's like it's just run, it's in his veins now. And he said, I will send a young goat from the flock. And she said, will you give me a pledge until you send it? It's like they're making a financial transaction about sleeping together. And then he said, what pledge shall I give you? And so she said, your signet, your cord, your staff that is in your hand. And then he gave them to her and went into her and she conceived by him. This is so insane. It's, it's like I, there are times when I'm like, there's no way that's in the Bible. I've actually had people say, that's not in the Bible. Yes, yes, it is. It's right here. And so she arose and went away and laid aside her veil and put on her garments of widowhood. Relationship of convenience. And Judah sent the young goat by the hand of his friend, the Adulamite, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand, but he did not find her. Be sure that you know that your sin will find you out. There is a way that seems right unto a man, unto a woman, but the end thereof is death. That the enemy tries to trap you into things that feel good, that can kill you. And then he asked the men of that place, saying, Where is the harlot who was openly by the roadside? Think of this. Who, who was looking for the harlot? This is, this is Judah. He's completely lost every bit of his dignity. He's not going, where's the harlot? Where's the prostitute? And they said, there's no harlot in this place. And so we returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. And also the men of this place said, there's no harlot in this place. And then Judah said, let her take them for herself, lest we be shamed. For I sent this young goat, and you have not found her. And he's saying, oh, I sent her the money I promised. Oh, well. That is exactly what happens when there is no commitment in marriage. It becomes nothing but a monetary transaction of one form or another. That's it. And it came to pass after about three months that Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has played the harlot, and furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. And so Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. Anybody else see a little double standard there? This is what happens. This is what compromise does. This is what compromise will do in your life. This is what will happen to you. Pretty soon you go, oh, man, I don't do that. <laughs> I only watch the good porn. <laughs> Not that cheesy stuff. You know, it's the stuff with a story behind it. And by the way, I've had some men tell me that. No, oh, I, I wouldn't sleep with them on the first date. It's got to be at least two. And by the way, I've had women tell me that. Well, how else would I get him to like me? If that's what you got to do, ladies, move on. 
Because that's not a man who's going to love you through thick and thin. That's a man who's going to use you and throw you away exactly like Judah does here. That's all he's interested in. If that's the main thing he's interested in, then he is not interested in you. Figured I'm going to teach this one more time before I die, so I'm just going for it. <laughs> the way he's acting is it, it's so unspeakable. But you know what? It's not the only place in the Bible that we find stories like this. The story of David's a pretty similar one, isn't it? Whoa, she's hot. Do you see that? Hey, babe. What you doing after the bath? He says, what child? Wasn't me. What happens when Nathan comes? Tells the story about the one little lamb. David's over there. Yeah, burn him, fry him, kill him. What does Nathan say? It's you. It's you. You know, we think we're in the middle of a sexual revolution. I want to tell you that there is a sexual revolution from about 3,800 years ago. And it doesn't look appreciably different than the one that we claim we're having right now. What are the lessons? Well, the lesson for me is it sounds a whole lot like our country. It sounds a whole lot like our world. It sounds a whole lot like a lot of our counseling appointments. Oh, I thought he loved me. I thought she loved me. We have so many television shows that are that are this. They are this. That's what they are. They are this. Oh, but they're in exotic places with beautiful surroundings and fashionable clothes, nice cars, pretty a bling, you know. There's lots of smiles. Why don't you talk to that bachelorette that took her own life about a month ago? Because there was no satisfaction in it. Yeah, we're, we're wandering around in that promiscuity and perversion. You see, we're quick to look at the story and go, man, that dude was a perv. And I think you'd be right to think that. This dude's a pervert. Then you look at our world and go, what do we exalt? And I'm not picking on any part of the music industry. About two-thirds of it needs to be in the dumpster. We talk about women being objectified, and it's women making the money from being objectified. We sit there and pay Hundreds and hundreds of dollars to go to concerts where people put this stuff out. You could turn this into a rap. The Judah and Tamar rap. I'll pick again, make no mistake, it's across every type of line you want to draw. This isn't a problem with anybody other than humanity. It's mankind. That's destroying our world. It's destroying our kids. And when she brought forth, verse 25 says, she sent to her father-in-law saying by a man 
whose these are. I am with child. And she said, discern and pray these. Who are they? The signet, the bracelet, and the staff. Well, I don't know, but the dude really needs to have you know some kind of penalty. You see, you can get so holy that pretty soon you don't see that the problem might be you. And now it came to pass at the time for giving birth that behold, twins were in her womb. And so it was when she was giving birth that one put out his hand and the midwife took it and a scarlet thread and bound it in his hand saying, this one came out first. That was typical because that would be the one to whom the the inheritance, the, the lion's share would go. And it happened that he drew his hand back and his brother came out unexpectedly. She said, how did you break through this breach be upon you? And therefore his name was called Perez, which means breached. And afterwards his brother came out who had the scarlet thread on his hand and his name was called Zirah. And you think, man, what good can come out of this? Jesus. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So when scripture says there is no temptation but that which is common to man, and in it there's a way of escape. If Jesus, Messiah, could come from that line and still be holy and righteous and pure and just and live a sinless life while he was here, there's hope for us, amen? No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, God is just simply saying, just own it, admit it. Let Christ become sin for you even though he himself knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him you see there is a deliverance and you can have it and so the beautiful picture here is that when you get to Matthew's gospel in the first three verses it says and Abraham begat Isaac and Isaac begat Jacob and Jacob begat Judah and his brethren, and Judah begat Phares, and Zerah of Tamar, and Perez begat Eshram, and Eshram begat Aaron. It's the line of the lion of the tribe of Judah, isn't it? It's amazing that the Lord could come from this mess. And yes, he was God incarnate in human flesh. But nonetheless, in every way, he can identify with our weaknesses because he was tested in every way imaginable and yet perfect. So before you lose heart, please don't. Because God is able. And he can deliver. If you're struggling, he can deliver. If you're in trouble, he can deliver. If you think you're over the edge, there's no edge that's too far that he can't pull you back. If you're willing, if you're willing to say yes, he can do it because he was made sin for you so that you could be his righteousness. Amen? Would you stand and we'll pray together. If you remember, pray for me tonight because I'd like to forget that I just taught the study. I'm old enough that I may never make it back to Genesis again in my journey through the scriptures with you all, so I'm kind of thankful to have this one behind me. (laughs) Father, thank you for the truth of your word, the power that it has to speak into our lives. And Lord, I want to pray for, for those tonight that are struggling with any type of sexual sin. Lord, you're greater than our sin. You're greater than our temptation. There is no temptation that that we will face that isn't common to all of us and that you have made a way of escape out of it. And Lord, if we will take the step of resisting the devil, he will flee, just as James said. And so, Lord, for those that are really struggling, they're, they're going through a tough time. 
Maybe there's someone here that desperately wants to be married and isn't. And Lord, they don't know what to do with that sexuality that you gave them. God, would you give them great patience and the ability to wait for that perfect person. God, for those that might be struggling with pornography or some form of sexual gratification that's, that's personal, God, would you, would you help them to resist and, and Lord, wait on you and find their, their fulfillment in their relationship with you. And for those that are married, God, would each one, all of us, Lord, who are married, I'll look to our spouses to be the complete fulfillment of that uh, which you've placed in us. You made us sexual. That's not the issue. But you have told us exactly what we're supposed to do with it. And so, Lord, how we just commit this to you and pray that if there's anyone tonight that just needs that extra touch from your hand, that you would provide it. We're so grateful for even difficult passages, Lord. Thank you for entrusting your word to us that we might grow from it. And so, God, we put this all in your hands. Pray that you administer to us in areas where we have need and where we don't have need but can help someone else. Give us compassion, tenderness, gentleness, and love. For that's how you treat us. Let us treat each other that way. In Jesus' name, amen.